Hollywood meets cryptocurrency scams, and the Sonic Wall cyber attack. Is there more than meets the eye? These stories and more in this week's ISMG Security Report. Hi, I'm Anna Delaney. Now, you might be familiar with actor Steven Seagal's name being associated with action movies rather than cryptocurrency scams. Well, have we got news for you? I got to probe Matthew Schwartz, our executive editor of Data Breach Today in Europe, on his latest blog post on how the feds are cracking down on cryptocurrency scams and a bit of Hollywood. So Matt, this week you've penned a fascinating and rather funny blog, and the story is US authorities have unsealed charges against a gang accused of stealing millions from investors via cryptocurrency scams. So what's the story? It is a fascinating story involving actor Steven Seagal, a bunch of alleged Serbian fraudsters, and more than $70 million in missing money. So the full scale of this endeavor, if you will, is still coming to light. But prosecutors say there was a gang based in Serbia and China. Now, last July, six of the alleged Serbian gang members got arrested. And earlier this month, one of them was extradited to the States. But still in Serbian custody, fighting extradition is a 45-year-old Serbian national named Christian Kerstik, who appears to be the alleged ringleader. So based on charges that we now know, they've been unsealed by the Department of Justice. Also, the Securities and Exchange Commission has a separate complaint. Kerstick and his accomplices have been accused of scamming lots of investors by offering new cryptocurrencies via what's called an initial coin offering or ICO. So that's a variation on the initial public offering or IPO. So anyone can offer an ICO. For example, we could do an ICO for the Anacoin. And it might be based on the Ethereum blockchain, as some of what was being offered by this gang was. Investors could purchase coins in advance of the launch. After it launched, it could potentially go up in value. They might be able then to sell their coins for a profit. And in many countries, this whole thing is legal. But prosecutors say the aforementioned gang scammed investors, offering fake cryptocurrency ICOs, promising massive returns compensation on their losses, the ability to purchase Bitcoin at half market price, all these things that a savvy investor you would think might have thought twice about. And yet we see this gang allegedly having amassed more than $70 million in investors funds. So that's the brief overview of what we're seeing with this still unfolding details of this alleged scam. I, I like that, the Anna coin. Very good. So the question I'm dying to ask, and perhaps the most important question this week, how is actor Steven Seagal involved? Well, it is a pressing question. If you've been a former Hollywood insider renowned for your action movie prowess, such classics as Under Siege being one of my favorites, what do you do for your second act? Well, in early 2018, uh, B2G, so this is one of the alleged scams being run. It was Bitcoin, but spelled with two eyes. B2G issued a press release saying, and I quote, Zen master Steven Seagal has become our brand ambassador and he wholeheartedly endorses the cryptocurrency. So we got to unpack that a little bit. The SEC warned back in 2017 that these coins being sold with ICOs might be classed as securities and thus were subject to anti-touting rules. That means if you're the likes of Steven Seagal, you have to be ultra clear if you're backing something 
whether you're getting anything in return. So apparently Stephen didn't do everything he was supposed to without admitting any guilt. In February of last year, we found out that he had quietly settled previously undisclosed charges with the SEC over his failure to disclose that he'd been promised $250,000 in cash and $750,000 worth of B2G tokens for his endorsement. So again, Seagal admitted no guilt, but he did end up paying a more than $300,000 fine to the SEC, which represented about double what his actual earnings had been. Very interesting. So as ever, what's the security takeaway here? Yes, the million dollar question. For me, it is that while this might be called cryptocurrency, that doesn't mean it isn't a scam. With the ICO bubble that we saw in 2017 and early 2018, hundreds of initial coin offerings were happening. And the SEC was signaling to investors to tread very, very carefully. If there's profit to be made, you're likely to find criminals at work. Of course, that goes for a lot of things, cryptocurrency being just one of them. But we still see some really innovative scams and attempts to part people with their cryptocurrency or you know, offer them the opportunity to invest in cryptocurrency that doesn't exist, as we've been talking about. This week, for example, there was a report in Coindesk about a tool called Bitcoin Paper Wallet. Now, if you hold cryptocurrency, one of the security recommendations is that you store it in a cold wallet. That's a fancy name for meaning offline. So there's a tool to help you do that called Bitcoin Paper Wallet. Unfortunately, people who use it seem to have lost millions of dollars worth of cryptocurrency. Digging into it, I know, who would have thought? Digging into it, Coindesk found that it appears that when you use this tool, which creates a PDF with your private key stored on it so that you can store it offline in physical form, it appears the tool actually copies your key to a server where someone has been taking it and draining your wallet. So you think you've stored it offline, but really someone else has stored it for you. It's long gone. There are so many stories like this. You need to tread so carefully when it comes to using cryptocurrency or investing in cryptocurrency. Who's doing it? Well, we just saw the value of Bitcoin surge past $50,000. Some keep saying that cryptocurrency is the future of the world's financial systems. Others contend it's little more than a global Ponzi scheme. So regardless of your take, it comes down to common sense of the security flavor. If an investment sounds too good to be true, it probably is. If someone offers to hold your money for you, you might want to think twice about that. And when it comes to investing in cryptocurrencies, you need to really, really do your due diligence. Wise words indeed. Thank you so much, Matt. I mean, this world never ceases to amaze me. Me as well. Good luck with your Anacoin. I promise to be an early investor and for no remuneration in return. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Cybersecurity company SonicWall was hacked, but was it also extorted? To answer that question, here's Jeremy Kirk, ISMG's managing editor of security and technology, who's done some fine journalistic digging into the story. Cybersecurity companies advise their clients not to pay ransoms for good reasons, Pay once, and the attackers may come back with their hand out again. It also promotes the cybercrime business model. When one organization pays, it's likely that other victims may pay with the right pressure. But when a breach and subsequent extortion attempt actually happen, the reality is often a lot messier. Enter SonicWall. 
On January 22nd, SonicWall said it had been breached by a vulnerability in its own remote access product. Since then, it has issued a patch and issued various firmware updates for it. But curiously, SonicWall hasn't said that much about the extent of its own breach, but there are strong indications that it was targeted by an extortion attempt and it is declining to answer if it paid a ransom. Just a day after SonicWall's breach announcement, a post went up on a well-known cybercrime forum. The person who wrote that post goes by the nickname SailorMorgan32. The post offered for sale data purportedly stolen from SonicWall. SonicWall, it said, could pay to claim the data. Otherwise, the data would be sold to no more than five buyers at $500,000 each. The advertised data included four terabytes of material, including non-disclosure agreements, accounting and payroll documents, plus three terabytes of source code. So to back this claim up, there were also a handful of screenshots which experts say appear to be legitimate. One appears to be SonicWall's internal JIRA, which is project management and bug tracking software. Another screenshot shows a license management application related to SSL VPN, which is a way for remote users to access internal resources through a SonicWall firewall. That post on the cybercrime forum disappeared quickly, however, and was probably up for less than two hours. Other experts who watched that forum relatively closely missed it. According to a source I spoke with, Sailor Morgan later claimed in a private chat that SonicWall paid him around $5 million. The hacker then allegedly went on vacation, an action that's not unheard of after a cybercriminal hits a big payout. Cybercriminals, though, often falsely boast of their claims, so why should we put any faith in what this person says? Alex Holden is the CISO of Hold Security, which is a company that monitors cybercriminal forums. Holden tells me that Sailor Morgan is cut from a different cloth. Generally, he's polite and in his criminal transactions doesn't bluff or rip people off. Sailor Morgan typically buys and sells lists of login credentials that have been collected by botnets. Other experts from cybersecurity firms such as ReSecurity and Intel 471 say that Sailor Morgan has consistently sold access credentials for organizations across Europe and North America. Sometimes later, ransomware gangs claim that they've successfully extorted organizations that Sailor Morgan originally sold access credentials for. So back to the central question, how do we tell if this person is telling the truth about being paid off by SonicWall to not release a load of data? One way would be for SonicWall to say whether it paid a ransom. I asked them several times and they declined to answer. But if SonicWall had told me, we don't pay ransoms, there would be no story here. Now, an absence of an answer doesn't necessarily mean guilt, but clearly there's more going on here. In early January, before all this kicked off, SonicWall tweeted that paying ransom should be a last option for an organization. But plenty of organizations have gone the route of paying a ransom and most of those payments never become public. But Frustratingly, the cycle of breach, extortion, and ransom continues. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. And finally, a must-watch video on our sites this week centers around an initiative launched by the Good Health Pass Collaborative, which is developing a roadmap for digital health passes that international travelers could use to prove they've been tested for COVID-19. But how do we prove and verify someone's identity? Well, Dakota Gruner, Executive Director of ID2020, which launched the project, spoke to ISMG's Director of Banking and Payments, Nick Holland, about how the collaborative aims to develop privacy protections and user-controlled interoperable identity verification. Here she is. 
first, we should start with where we're at today. When you think about how somebody is proving either their COVID test results or their vaccination status, you know, in crossing a border at the moment, that's typically being done using a screenshot of test results or, you know, a, a paper vaccination card. There's very little way to sort of build trust and assurance around the credentials that people are using. So we're starting from a very low base and there's huge, you know, there's stories and anecdotes I'm hearing just from right and left about fraud occurring. People who are saying for $50, I'm happy to go in and to Photoshop, change the name on a test result, for example, and and give it to you. So there's you know, real concerns, I think, around fraud and therefore around sort of identity proofing and binding as it relates to these credentials. Backing up perhaps for a second, you know, some of the principles that we outline around what defines really a, a good health pass. And um, we start with these ideas of privacy and user control. We want individuals to be able to very selectively share their information, disclose what they want to share and to whom, and have the ability to kind of manage and control that. And so I think that's important to note, not only because it's foundational to um, ensuring privacy and ensuring that there aren't sort of human rights abuses or, um, you know, sort of civil liberties incursions with these solutions, but I think it's also important from a security perspective, because it means that you are keeping data minimized. You're having data largely remain at source with the individual being the sole person who's wandering around as a most physical unit of interoperability Mm -hmm. and permissioning very selective sharing of their own data. That's it from ISMG's security report. Theme music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Anna Delaney. Until next time.